Thanks for listening to this teaching from City of Life Church. Check out www.col.tv for more great teachings, service times, and information on upcoming events. Now, let's join the service already in progress. Come on, he is so good. I feel like we have already had church with that. My goodness, what a testimony of how God sets us free. Welcome to City of Life Church. If you're watching online, thanks so much for being here. My name's Pastor Justin. I serve as one of the associate pastors here at City of Life, and you have joined us in the middle of a series called The Experience, where we are looking at some of the most foundational, important, essential dynamics of what it means to follow God. And freedom is such a central topic to that. It's what we're going to dive into in a bit But can I just say how glad I am that you are with us today. Thank you to everyone who helped make I Love My City possible yesterday. We're going to keep on loving our city, but man, yesterday was really special. So thank you to all the volunteers who served, everyone who gave to make that day a huge success. In a moment, we'll be getting into the word together. And we're going for it today. I mean, after a testimony like that. We just have to go for it. So I do want to take this opportunity to let any parents know that have children in here with them. First of all, thank you for bringing your family to church. There will be some frank conversation that deals with topics of substance use, addiction, sexuality, and also topics regarding to your mental health and a struggle therein. So I wanted to give you the opportunity to make a decision on how you proceed. I'll tell you how I feel and how our, how our team operates. We'd always rather our kids hear about it here with truth and in the house of God than somewhere else with a different angle or perspective on it. So we don't shy away from those things. We also very much respect your authority as a parent to determine the timing of your child's life. So City Kids is an amazing opportunity that we have. We also have our lobby available for you should you decide to make that choice. Uh, But man, we believe in ministering to the family. City Kids is a great place for your kids. I have to give honor to Mike and Laura who are here. I spotted you instantly. I love you too. These were my kids' church directors. They taught me to trust Jesus. They taught me to say yes to Jesus. I love you guys and I honor you. Can we give it up for them? Beautiful. You guys are beautiful people. So that being said, today I want to get into the word with you. And this is going to be a space where we're being brutally honest today because I believe truth can set us free. It's a promise from scripture. We got to tell the truth and we have to do that. And sometimes the truth is not pretty. Sometimes the lie is more beautiful to look at right? The filter looks better. Hello. But sometimes the truth requires us to have to get very honest. So I want to take you to a passage in the Old Testament from the book of Kings. And as we look at Israel, I see a reflection of ourselves. So we're going to go ahead and put that verse on the screen. And I want to read it with you. It's from 2 Kings chapter 17, verse 9. It says, the Israelites secretly did things against the Lord, their God. Okay, hold on. (laughs) I'm not trying to preach immediately here. But can we highlight that word secretly for a moment? The Israelites did things secretly against the Lord, their God. Does this mean secret from God's perspective? No, certainly not, because God sees all, he knows all. It means they were hidden things being secretive. And you don't hide something unless you know it's wrong. 
Okay, I feel like I need a little more honesty, a little more openness in church. You don't hide something unless you know it's wrong. So what it's actually saying is Israel knowingly, willingly chose to do wrong things and covered it up, filtered it, hid it in the corner, and they did things that they knew were not right. The next verse says that from watchtower to fortified city, they built to themselves high places in all their towns. Moving forward, it says that they set up sacred stones and Asherah poles on every hill and under every spreading tree. I'm gonna explain a bit about what this means in a moment, but to conclude this verse, it says at every high place, they burned incense as the nations whom the Lord had driven out before them had done. And finally, it concludes with that they did wicked things that aroused the Lord's anger. Today, this talk is called tearing down the high places, tearing down the high places. Let's pray. I love that. Let's pray and then we'll clap. Father, we thank you so much for this day. Thank you for everyone who's watching online. We pray that today your truth would set us free. Thank you for what you're going to do, what you've already been doing, what you're going to continue to do in this place. In Jesus' name and with that GK energy, now we will clap. Amen, amen. Love you. So we got to talk a bit about good old Israel, because it's really easy to say, Israel, what's wrong with you? But they are the people of God. We are the people of God. The only thing that separates us is some years on the calendar. But I see so much of me and so much of us in them. So just a moment of biblical history, if you will bear with me. Israel was in Egypt. They were in bondage. They were enslaved. God brought them out of Egypt through the promised land or through the wilderness into their promised land. It's that journey from slavery to freedom, from darkness to light, from dead to alive. And in that physical journey that they took, I see our spiritual journey, that I was once bound up in Egypt, in death, in sin, and God saved me because of that cross. He set me free. He brought me to a promised land. But here's the interesting thing about the promised land. You would imagine, if I was writing the story, that when they get to the promised land, everything is set up for them and easy. But in fact, when they got to the promised land, there were giants and armies and enemies that they had to fight and eradicate and clear the land for. Sometimes when you're going to the place God has for you, it's actually more difficult than if you would have stayed where you were. But don't let difficulty discourage you. Because just because you're a promised land hasn't been pioneered yet doesn't mean it's not yours. Just because there's a giant in the way, just because there's a Jericho, just because there's a Jordan, just because obstacles exist doesn't mean it's not yours. They had to go in, possess this land. It was brutal, lots of war, really, really dark period in Israel's history. They won some battles. They really horribly lost some. They mess things up along the way. I get it. Sounds like my life. But at this point in scripture, by the time we reach 2 Kings, the land is theirs. The enemies have been defeated. They have been eradicated. No more of those Amalekites and Perizzites and mosquito bites, as we often say. All of those enemies have been defeated. And it reminds me of a little bit of what it's like to come to Jesus right? Like eventually when I finally say yes to Jesus, yes to that cross, yes to the sacrifice and the lordship of Jesus, eventually I've seen myself step from death into life, from darkness into light and the enemy is defeated. 
I am saved. There is a promised land. My life has been redeemed, renewed. If you are grateful for that gift of salvation, give God some praise. Now, if perhaps you don't quite understand or believe that salvation is something you've even stepped into, I hope by the end of this service you'll be able to celebrate with all of us who have stepped into that free gift given to us. So the promised land, it has been cleared out for them through a lot of effort. The enemy is evicted, powerless, defeated. But then Israel starts to have a few problems. I don't know about you, but did your story end in perfect happiness the day you said yes to Jesus? (laughs) Oh, I can already tell I'm in the right place. (laughs) You're my people. Because things have been cleared out, and yet suddenly, this verse in Kings tells us that Israel starts building from watchtower to fortified city, these high places. Now, this isn't really terminology that we use today, so I need to unpack it just a bit for you. These high places were like isolated, contained places of worship, but not to God, to some false pagan deity. And so they were contained areas, ground that was devoted to a pagan god, whether it was Baal or Asherah or these, the, these pagan gods that did not reflect who Israel really was. So the land belonged to the, to, to the people of God. The promise was theirs from God. They were, they were the people of God, 90% of the geography. But these little pockets, these secret high places, were where they were devoting their energy, their attention, their effort, somewhere contrary to God. And when I say it's a place of worship, I don't want you to picture something holy. I want you to picture like brujeria, if you're Latino. <laughs> it's a very, yeah, it's, someone said, uy. It's a very dark place. I told you I was going to be frank. The, the term that you see in scripture, these Asherah poles, Asherah was a goddess that was worshipped in pagan rituals. And the way she was worshipped was through sexual acts of worship. And this Asherah pole was a sexual organ constructed an act of worship. And the rituals participated in something called sacred harlotry, which is the paying for sex in some kind of act of worship, believed that sexual union with these divine prostitutes would allow an individual to connect to the spirit of Asherah. Really dark, dark stuff. But they have quite literally constructed a sexual organ in this high place. It was set apart like its own unique, it's not like these were everywhere, friends. Like Israel is still being pious. It's just this one little area, my sexuality, just this one little corner. And I go over to this corner and that's where I exhibit this behavior. And then I come back to my promised land and I behave like a good Israelite. Woo! And then these sacred stones that it talks about weren't just like the dragon balls. <laughs> like it wasn't just the, 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 it was these stones where they would light incense and it wasn't just candles from Bath and Body Works. <laughs> and this incense is what they would breathe in to reach some kind of altered state. We don't know exactly what they were pushing back on the streets those days, but this was it. They would use substances to work themselves up into a drug-induced state and believe that they would somehow commune with these pagan gods. So we've got my secret sexual behavior, my substance use, my addiction, 
these, all these little high places that exist. And like most of the promised land looks good. I've, I've got it pretty much put together unless you visit the secret high places. It's really easy to say, Israel, what's wrong with you? But can we be honest today? Can we be honest about how we give about 90% of ourselves? We present about 90% of ourselves to others. But then we have this high place, this thing that has been constructed. And it's different for everybody. You, you, we all choose our own flavor, whether it's sex addiction or some kind of deep, dark depression, some kind of um, dishonest gain, stealing, lying, cheating, illicit affairs, substance use, like violence. It, we, it, we could just spin the wheel, friends. And I'm, I'm trying to be as human as I can. I hope you are too, because this is the reality of how life looks very often. And not five feet away, it's the cross, it's amazing, and this never diminishes the power of this. But also, if we truly understand this, we must never turn a blind eye to that. This is, it's present, and it's taunting, and it's occupying ground that was bought with a price. And so Israel, this is the state of things. There's these high places that exist. And later in the book, God commands Hezekiah and other prophets like, and kings tear down those high places, go in and rip them down. But you know what's interesting? This had already happened once. Because when the enemies had owned the land, there were high places everywhere. Everything was broken and pagan and awful. And when the people of Israel came in, they cleaned out house and then rebuilt some high places. That's the real sad thing here. God conquered the enemy, but then we started behaving like the enemy. And you, in Christ, have been made new. You've been set free positionally, spiritually, eternally, and there's nothing that can shake that. But the question is not, has Jesus done the work? The question is, has, have I participated responded or contradicted the work because you can be free cleansed whole positionally but behaviorally you are going back to the old way of doing things and i don't spend a lot of time talking about the devil el diablo <laughs> the bible makes it clear though he's a very real enemy a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour to steal kill and destroy and you, you don't play around with a very real enemy. And I believe that without Jesus as Lord of our lives, we are subject to that battle, that spiritual battle. And I hear it all the time when I'm working with people who maybe haven't come to Jesus yet. I hear it. You would, you would not believe one of the most common things that I hear. When I lay down at night, I feel like something is there and it scares me. Something's in the corner. Or like, I just, I hear something. I hear it all the time. I hear this complaint all the time. That's not just the total of some scary movies you've watched, my friends. There is a spiritual realm. There are spiritual attacks. And you know what is the greatest single act of spiritual warfare? The single most destructive thing you can do to combat the forces of hell. It's not like throwing some water <laughs> around your room. It's not some lucky charm that you can rub enough. The single greatest act of spiritual warfare is salvation. 
It is coming to Jesus and saying, Jesus, be Lord of my life. I give my life to you. You are king. And as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, there's no room for anything else. He doesn't share the apartment with the roommate of the spirit of lust or the spirit of fear. No, if there is some kind of demonic oppression, possession, torment, whatever it is, you invite Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, and he eradicates the darkness. That's what happened when Israel went into the promise saying it's the power of God that pushed back those enemies. Not Israel flexing their muscles. The greatest single act of spiritual warfare is salvation. Now, there are certainly some other things we can talk about. That's a different teaching. But when we step into the light of Christ's salvation, it pushes back darkness in our life. We've been set free. When people talk about saved, that's what I mean. Saved from all that mess. Saved from the question of like, where does my life hang in the balance of this battle between light and dark? When you come to Jesus, it is in the light. It is finished. The work is done. He has claimed you for his own. And that is a finality of his promise. But what do we do about this now? This thing in my life. Because if it's not the devil, what if it's me? It's really easy to say the devil made me do that. <laughs> it's really easy. It's convenient as a Christian. Oh, just, that's, the, that's the enemy. That's, that's a spirit. What if the high places in your life, these constructed areas of struggle, are not a result of demonic activity, but a result of irresponsibility. What if the greatest, most present, taunting issues in your life as a Christian are not some demonic activity, but your irresponsibility? Because in this story with Israel, the enemy didn't build it. They built it. They did this thing. And now let's bring it home. I did it. You did it. We have constructed things that defy the knowledge of God. And they're done in hidden and secret because I wouldn't construct this all over the promised land because that's embarrassing. People would question whether or not we actually own this land. No, no, no. I'm going to make sure that everything visible is glorifying to God. But the hidden things, that's where I construct some places where I give of myself. And that's exactly how it is. We're talking about in the Old Testament areas of worship, it's the exact same way with areas of struggle today. You might not be singing songs like we do in here, but worship is not singing songs. It's giving value. Music is one vehicle we use to give God value when Pastor Cassie is up here and Lauren and James and Hank and the team are up here singing songs. It's a vehicle to give value to God, but worship is truly just about giving value to him. And in the same way, you give value in other directions and it is worship. The same way that, that Israel would go to their high places and dance around those constructed sexual organs and have lascivious, lewd sexual acts with each other. Seems like unthinkable, but how is it any different? to when in secret we log on to a website, or at this point it's no longer this, it's this. And we start scrolling and we're hidden. Pornography is the most rampant addiction in the church today. Y'all thought I was gonna talk about America. No, the church, the single most rampant addiction. Most people in this room are battling pornography. Most of us. And we're trying to keep it hidden and secretive because we are in this place where in private we are offering worth. There's very few times where someone's like, hey, come over, let's have a porn party. No. 
It's in secret because we know it's wrong. <laughs> we know it's wrong. But the problem is when things are hidden in secret, they begin to gain power. And you keep constructing this high place. Or maybe it's substance addiction. And just like our friend on the testimony said, it's like I've used and used to the point where I don't even know if I want to do this, but I just keep doing it. And that trance-like state of addiction becomes this numbing agent in our lives where we keep going back to the thing that is destroying us. Maybe it's this unrestricted greed in your life where money causes you to do things that you'd be ashamed of admitting. Stealing, cheating, lying, or maybe just forsaking your family for money. I just got to work a little more for money. That's greed. It's these areas where something has been constructed, and what we're actually doing, friends, is giving worth, giving value to this thing, worshiping it. And then after time, you know what I see over and over again? People come to me and say, Pastor Justin, I don't really feel God anymore. It feels weird like when we're in here, I don't feel it. Well, of course we don't feel it because we have ascribed all our worth in secret and are expecting to still have a healthy connection in public. The source of any real addiction is that disconnect that's occurring. The opposite of addiction is not sobriety. It is connectedness. Because your addiction is a symptom of you trying to build a connection that has been broken. Now, maybe it was broken in childhood. Maybe it was broken at some point along the way. But nevertheless, it's your responsibility on what you do with it today. There's a lot of topics we could go into here. But for the purpose of today, we're talking about your responsibility. And so there's events like this that maybe you didn't ask for, right? My goodness, I've been ready to preach this message since last week when Pastor Amy talked about forgiveness. I wanted to literally get up off that pew and preach this message immediately. Because her message, if you haven't watched it, please go and watch it and watch it again and watch it again. Y'all been staying on Netflix too long anyway, so just watch a sermon, okay? Because her message was so profound and her testimony about overcoming sexual abuse and the mental abuse, mental abuse from her family, things that she never asked for. I recognize that a lot of our lives look like this. I didn't ask for it. My grandfather was an alcoholic. My father was an alcoholic. I'm an alcoholic. It looks like, looks like my teenager is going to be an alcoholic. And it's just like the enemy has come in and staked claim of something. And you're now struggling with what do I do with this high place? But there's also another way that things go. There's the things we didn't ask for and the things we very much participated in. Where we find ourselves free and saved and then we believe a lie. And this is pretty tolerable. No one would think anything's wrong with me if I lived like this. You probably wouldn't even notice it. But all bondage begins with a lie believed. Because truth sets us free and lies bind us. And so often we've been blaming things on demons. But as Christians... The challenge is not whether or not the demonic is possessing. The question is, have I given them one most powerful virtue in my life, belief? Have I given it to truth or a lie? Have I believed the truth or have I believed a lie? Because what you believe is your responsibility. I don't care how many times your father said you're stupid, you're worthless, no one will love you. What you choose to believe is your responsibility. You can't change their voice, but you can change what you are giving power to in here. 
and the lies that we believe construct these modern-day high places in our life. And it looks really tolerable at first, and then eventually we build upon that lie another belief, and upon that lie another belief, and then eventually it goes from lies to behaviors, because now that I believe all of these things, now there's a behavior that starts to be born. It might look like an addiction. It might look like a toxic relationship. Who knows how it looks? There's hundreds of ways it could look. But then so many of us feel super guilty as Christians, and you're like, oh, pastor, you got to help me. I can't stop sleeping with my girlfriend, or I can't stop smoking, or I can't stop this behavior, and I'm trying to keep taking it away, and every time I take it away, it keeps coming back, and no matter what I do, it keeps coming back. The reason the behavior keeps coming back is because the foundation of lies exists, and so it demands this response. You've been trying to live like this, and this is not God's plan for your life. He wants to go down to the root, down to the foundation of what needs to be broken down. So often, we build these things. The devil didn't make me do it. I did it. I want to share with you what that looks like in my life, in one area. I'm going to share one facet. But if you think there's only one in my life, we should go out and have some food. (laughs) You'll hear there's so much more. But in 2010, my best friend, Dave, he passed of cancer. And he was the youth pastor at our church. A vibrant, quirky, faithful, sometimes annoying person. <laughs> and he was my dude. Like we'd spend every day together for I think at that point it was like four years, every day. And his death was wildly painful because it was supposed to be a few months of battle for cancer and it went two years which in some ways I see as miraculous, that he fought so long. I mean, he and his wife had a daughter in that time, which was a miracle in and of itself. And so I believe there is promise and purpose to that, but also those two years were hellish. I've never really shared it here because it is so, it's still difficult. It got so gruesome. If you've ever battled with cancer in a loved one's life, being on right next to it is hard. He was in so much pain at the end. And I remember one night, the most difficult night, at this point, like me and my wife, we'd been married, what, two months? Like newlywed, walking with our friends through this. We were sleeping at their house because it was just getting to be so much. He was so riddled with pain. His body was on fire with cancer. And he had a morphine drip that would allow him to have comfort but he did not have the strength to push that button. And so I would sit next to him and we'd all take turns and I'd sit next to him and every 21 minutes an alarm on my watch and drip morphine into his veins to numb the pain of cancer eating his body away. But the doctor also cautioned us. They said, you have to be really careful because if he falls in too deep asleep, which he wasn't sleeping at this point. He said, if he falls too deep in sleep, he might might arrest, like his breathing may stop. So you just have to make sure he's breathing. And so I'm spending the night hours watching my best friend's chest go up and down to make sure that he stays alive, all while 21 minute intervals of hitting a button. I got so tired that I remember laying next to my friend and putting my hand on his chest just so I could close my eyes, press the button with this hand, feel his breath with this hand. I couldn't sleep, but I just, I had to close my eyes. And I remember how 
traumatic, how painful. And that night, not his death, not later after the fact, that night, I believed a lie. And this is what it sounded like. Justin, you need to be strong. It's a pretty good lie, right? It doesn't sound like the devil. Justin, you need to be strong. It sounds like believable. It sounds like it lines up with truth. But just because the words are right, the spirit wasn't right. And, and that's how I operated, for because he didn't pass right then. It was still a few months. But this was, this was the way that I was living my life. Justin, you need to be strong. And then it started to grow. Justin, you need to be strong for Sheena. This is Dave's wife. Justin, you need to be strong for his daughter. Because like any man would, toward the end, he looked at me in the eyes and said, will you make sure to take care of her? And I was like, absolutely. I believe I could have done it a healthy way, but I was irresponsible. I could have said yes and done it in the right heart and done it in truth, but because I had already laid a foundation of lies, it was easy to keep building on lies. Of course, I'll take care of her. Of course, I'll be strong, and not just for her, for the church. The week he died, who was up preaching to the youth group that he left? Justin, because I'm going to be strong, and I'm going to help. No one made me do that. I said, I'll do it, because I had built a belief of lies. And this is how I lived for years, for years of be strong. And then it started to progress and not just be strong, but make sure that you don't show weakness. Never cry because you can cry about things that are happy. And everyone who knows me knows I'll cry about things that are happy, but never things that are sad because to be weak violates what you've been building here. So make sure to never show weakness. Never let anyone know what you're struggling with. And it progressed further and further. And I was functional, tolerable. I looked good for 10 years. And then in 2019, I did a funeral. It was like my hundredth something funeral. I actually quite enjoy serving families in that moment. But the deceased's name was Justin. And Justin was loud, crazy, funny. And Justin had a new wife and a young baby boy. And spending an hour talking about Justin dying and Justin's wife crying and Justin's son, me standing at the front of the room, suddenly all of these beliefs that I am the sustainer of my world and everybody needs me to be strong, suddenly, and I'm embarrassed to admit it, I made that moment about myself, not about the family who I was there to serve. I turned it inward, whether that's narcissism or irresponsibility, you can decide, but all I know is for me it was wrong. And then I started to think in a new direction. Well, what happens when I die? Amanda won't be able to do it. And what about my son? All this that I'm building, it's gonna be too much. It's all gonna come crashing down. And what about the church? And what about my family? And all these questions, that night I feel like something pulled in my chest. That's the only way I can describe it. It's like I pulled a muscle, but emotionally. And that night I laid in bed, and usually I'm kind of sad after funerals. This one was different. And I laid in bed, and I noticed like I couldn't really catch my breath very much. And I said, that's weird. Maybe I just like overdid it in my workout today. And so I laid there without sleep, gasping for air. And the next day, I found it really hard to look her in the eye. 
And I found it really hard like to want to play with my son because I just kept thinking like, I don't want to build more moments because what if it's going to hurt more? So I'll just kind of like work harder. Let me just work harder because work was the one place I never felt anxiety. So I showed up at the office early, stayed late, emailed more, did more because that's the one place where I could run from this growing pain within me. And y'all, I was preaching to you through this. I was living through it. And I'm grateful for pastors and a wife and friends who could tell like what's going on here. But it's incredible how far we will go with this 90% freedom of a promised land, but ever constructing these dark places in our life. And you can take my journey for what you will with anxiety, but we've all got one, whether it's addiction, sexuality, depression, we all have it. And this was one of the many things in my life. And it progressed. And now I'm gasping for air. And I'm dealing with unresolved grief of like, I saw what happened when Dave died and I had to be the savior, which is a lie, but it's what I believed. And so I had to be the savior. What happens when I die? What's gonna happen to everyone? If I die, it's like Dave dies again, Justin dies. What's gonna happen? And this anxiety riddled me to the point of panic disorder, gasping for air, panic episodes dozens of times a day, all through the night. And it was this ever growing high place in my life. And it was godless sinful. I'm not saying that's everyone else's story. It's mine. I was irresponsible in the lies that I believed and the behaviors that I engaged in. Could I have done it healthy? Yes, I could have, but I did not. I believed some lies. And it got to the point of no longer being tolerable, which is when we usually ask for prayer, right? Like I no longer can survive. I no longer can function. Now I need help. And you're like, if I could just stop the panic attacks or just stop the drug addiction, if I could just stop sleeping with those people, if I could just stop the DMs, whatever it is, if I could just stop stealing, we're trying to dismantle one brick when the whole thing is standing there mocking us. And if we're going to see true freedom, we have to allow truth to permeate every step of the way. There's this verse in the New Testament. Let's put it up. It says this about spiritual warfare. 2 Corinthians 10. For we don't live in the world. We don't wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Divine power to demolish strongholds. I hope your faith is getting stirred. Let's keep going. It says that we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to make it obedient to Christ. We make every thought captive. We take it captive and we make it obedient to Christ. You can amen something all day long on Sunday, but if it does not impact the way you think on Monday, it hasn't gone far enough. We have to change the thinking because the thinking, what we have allowed ourselves to believe, the words we say to ourselves is what is constructing this negative, unhealthy high place in your life. And like I said, it's different for everyone. This was it for me. Justin has to be strong. And then all the way up until Justin can't, Justin can't breathe anymore. He's anxious and riddled with panic. And this thing taunted me every day. What is yours? What does it look like? No one loves me. I don't know where that came from. Maybe dad, maybe mom, maybe an ex. But if you've believed that lie, it makes sense why the next thing would be, 
I'm going to chase after whatever feels like love. Sex is the closest thing I feel to love. The people I'm looking to for sex don't value me because I'm not valuing myself. So I'm devalued in doing the thing that I want to be doing for love. And so I have to shut off part of my humanity to sleep around like that. So I'm looking for a fix physically, but I'm costing myself a great price emotionally. And it's really difficult for me to engage sexually when it costs me that much emotionally. So I just take this substance. It helps me relax a little bit. But now this thing becomes necessary for me to do everything I've been trying to do to try to find love. Maybe this is what your area looks like. Everyone is different. And we have all these high places. Look at our lives. Look at this. The land God came to set free has now constructed all of these things that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. If I looked at this land, would it be easy for me to say, oh, this is God's place? No, it would be questionable. And these things have exalted themselves against the knowledge of God. And I believe there's a miracle on the way for anyone who is ready to walk in true freedom, tearing down the high places. If you don't know Jesus, this is your life and how it looks. The enemy has taunted and he's beckoned and he's run the show in your family and your parents and their parents. But when you come to Jesus, whether that was 50 years ago or whether it's today, I believe he takes us out of darkness and into light, from death into life. It is a moment of salvation and he comes to demolish strongholds. And when we say yes to Jesus, the high places, are torn down in our lives and it's a miracle in the moment and if you have been looking for freedom it comes in Jesus he demolishes the strongholds and it is a miracle in the moment sometimes because if the enemy built it Jesus will destroy it but if you built it, you break it. If you built it, you break it. And do you know what freedom looked like for me? Step number one was going to my pastors, one of my most difficult conversations with them. I, you are a saint. My wife sat there with her hand on my leg and I just said, I am in a godless place. I haven't even been praying. I need to repent to you. I need to confess my faults to one another because I know God promised he'll be faithful and just to forgive me and cleanse me. So I had to talk. I had to admit. I had to bring it to the light. I didn't sleep good that night. I had panic attacks that night. This thing is still here, but I did bring it into the light. You know why I wasn't praying? Because all of my mental and emotional and spiritual energy was going toward worry and fear. I believe worry is a prayer to fear. And anxiety is a forecast of the future without God's goodness. I was imagining, fantasizing, fetishizing what it would look like for Amanda to go through life without me and my son and the church. All these selfish things, so egocentric. And I was never acknowledging the fact that God has always been the center. He was with Amanda long before I ever was. He's called Malachi. He's built and sustained this church. I am not the center of the world. Jesus is the center of the world. I was making it about me. And I had to repent. And I had to say, I am not going to think 
those thoughts anymore. And I had to make them, I had to take them captive and make them obedient to Christ. I had to make a decision to say, I don't know what I'm going to think in bed tonight, but I'm not going to think that. I would rather just say the name of Jesus over and over than give entertainment to those thoughts. And this thing is still here. It hasn't gone anywhere, but it's starting to be torn down. I take every thought and make it captive. Dads, if you're in the room, you might know what I'm talking about when, like, I hear my son acting a fool. And my wife is like, I told you to pick up your plate. I told you to pick up your plate. What do we do when we come in? We say, you listen to your mother. I am taking him captive and making him obedient to what has already been said. And in the same way, when my thoughts are running wild, I am not coming in in my own power or in my own strength. I'm saying, hey, you thought you listen to what Jesus has already said. You've been out of line. You've been unsubmitted. I'm taking you captive and I'm making you obedient to Christ. And you keep doing this thing over and over. And you know what? We want this fancy moment where there's this eruption, but I believe this is a miracle. This is a miracle because if it weren't for Jesus, we could never get to that point. And I had to keep going. I had to sit in counseling. Whew, it was scary. I'm a counselor. And I was like, don't say it. Don't say panic disorder. Don't say, okay, yep, panic disorder. And I had to admit some things. And I had to get all the way down. And this right here is how I'd been living since that time, because I'm grateful. And you've heard me testify, like panic is not a part of my life anymore. I believe God shut that door a few years ago. I mean, I gave you the year. Like, you know how recent this was. I'm not going to say it again because I started doing math. <laughs> this is really, really recent. But it wasn't until last night that I had to realize that I've been living like this with one lie still believed. I had to go to my buddy's tombstone last night and I had to choose. Justin, you need to be strong. Is the lie that I had built the last 12 years on? And there is a truth in scripture that I had rejected. And it is that in our weakness, Christ's strength is made perfect. And so sitting last night in that graveyard, the centerpiece of my most deeply held lie, I had to pick it up, take it captive, and in one of the most costly ways, I had to make it obedient to Christ. This is just my story. Forget me now, what about you? So many of us have found tolerable functionality. But what is that lie that you have deeply believed? Because it has to be taken captive. I want to equip you with something. If you visit col.tv slash who I am, or you use this QR code, I want to give you one of my favorite resources. It's called Who I Am in Christ. These are a list of scriptures organized by one of my favorite authors, Neil Anderson. But it's not like he wrote the Bible. <laughs> like, this is just God's word. It's organized in a way. And when you look at that, yeah, you better be. You better be on your phone right now. <laughs> it's the one good time to do it. When you look at this list, you're going to see things that say, I am a child of God, and the verse that backs it up. I am loved by God. I am chosen by God. I am healed. I am sanctified. When you look at these truths of scripture, 
I am pointing you toward the truths you must believe. Because truth is a seed that requires the fertile soil of your thinking. It's true whether you believe it or not. But you're only free when you believe it. You have to take these truths and implant them into your thinking. Quite literally, when the moment comes up where it still even happened last night, because I came home from the graveyard looking like I've been crying for an hour, which I had, and my wife was like, are you okay? And the instinct was there, Justin, be strong. And I said, no, I'm not. I'm really, really sad. I had to choose to believe the truth, which is in my weakness, his strength is made perfect. You have to actually change your thinking because it is your lie-based thinking that has brought you toward your destructive behaviors and it is gonna be your truth-based thinking that is gonna bring you toward true freedom. You've gotta do the work of changing those thoughts and this is a starting place for you to gain some of that access to the weapons of our warfare. It is and has always been truth. And yes, we need to talk about behavior modification. You need to stop. I'm in full dad mode now. You need to stop. You're like, oh, it's difficult. Take, take your phone, put it in another room, unplug your computer, burn, throw away whatever has been the substance that you keep going to. Tell one person, say, hey, like we need to address, but behavior modification isn't the whole effort, but you need to stop. You have to take responsibility. But then internally, you begin a process of letting truth replace those lies. And you might say, oh, but if without my drug of choice, without porn, without, without drugs, I start to feel some type of way. Yeah, exactly. Because this thing has just been the top brick of an emotional and, and, and mental battle that you have been losing. So yeah, of course you're going to feel something. Let's run into it. Let's bring Jesus into that feeling. Let's bring truth into that feeling. Let's get all the way down to the root. Because whatever is broken and hurt and wrong can be made right right if you will invite him in. And so today, tearing down the high places looks a little different for each of us, but it's the same God. And if you don't know Jesus, he is your freedom. I want to pray with you. If you're here and you say, Pastor Justin, I need to be saved. That's me. I need to repent. If that's you watching online, raise your hands right now or click the raise hand button. Say, I need Jesus. Yes, thank you. Yeah, thank you. So many hands are going up. Yes, 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 yes. Wow. I believe it's like this big old boot kicking down that tower back there, that the moment Jesus comes in, everything is made new. Would everyone repeat this prayer with me? Say, Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of my sin. I wanna live for you from this day forward. From now on, it's Jesus first and Jesus always. In your name I pray, amen. This concludes the teaching. If you'd like to support what God is doing here at City of Life, click on the Give button at www.col.tv or text a dollar amount to the number 855-997-6900. We hope you'll join us again.